Welcome back. This is the midweek minute episode of the Man Cave Caucus podcast. We're coming at you from the lofty fourth floor office overlooking the front lawn of the Missouri Capitol building. Uh, Due to some scheduling conflicts today, we're recording a little bit earlier in the day than usual, so there might be a little bit more background noise than usual, but we'll try to minimize that as much as is possible. So I'm your host, Ben Baker. Tim is not here, of course, because it's the midweek minute. We are going to try to get Tim on up in Jeff City one of these times uh, during session, possibly. But um, So it's been a busy week so far with the hustle and the bustle of legislators, you know, uh, scratching and, and clawing around trying to get their bills through the process. It's always a challenge, especially trying to get bills through committee by spring break. That's kind of usually the um, the deadline we have in mind. If we don't get one through committee by then, then it's very unlikely it's going to get done this session. So, um, But with me today is a special guest, a colleague and friend of mine, Pastor Doug Ritchie. Uh, so welcome to the Man Cave Caucus podcast, Doug, and uh, just share a little bit about yourself and, and so our audience can kind of get to know you. Thank you, Ben. It's great to uh, to be on your program. Uh, I'm a often listener, if that makes sense. I listen often <laughs> well, and uh, first time guest. So yes, I'm I'm I've I've enjoyed your episodes thus far. Uh, I find it um, meaningful and always uh, focused on important details. Uh, we that try are affecting our lives. We right? try. So yeah, no, I uh, we came in together. So I won my first election uh, in 2018. Was sworn in with you in 2019. We're in our junior cycle. Um, I'm one of those budget wonks. So I'm I'm on three budget committees and uh, and then do uh, a lot of other work beyond that. Obviously, I'm I'm chairing the uh, government accountability committee and uh, also one of the co-chairs for the joint committee on education as well. Yes. But uh, outside of the building, yeah, I've been a, a pastor uh, for 25 years. That's my full-time responsibility. I do law enforcement chaplaincy as well. Uh, I'm a veteran, uh, but uh, more importantly than all of that, I, I love my wife. Uh, my wife and I will be uh, uh, reaching our 28th anniversary coming up here in a few weeks. Awesome. Two daughters and a son-in-law, and uh, yeah, so just enjoying life, but uh uh, understand too that each day is something we're supposed to steward, right? And in this capacity, as you well know, Ben, uh, we need to steward the opportunity God has given us to uh, uh, to work toward good uh, legislation. Uh, and uh, in so doing, always remember that we are to protect our constitutional liberties yes. uh, for those that we serve. Yes, I agree. And uh, it's been a great time. We've had a lot of I mean, many, many discussions over uh, philosophy and uh, religion and yes, legislation have. and all the things. And uh, that's some of the things I actually enjoy uh, a lot about doing this job. And uh, it's those times sitting around the table having those discussions. And uh, there was a group that we kind of uh, clicked in the beginning when we all ran for office, and we're still a click as it is. Absolutely. <laughs> and yes, uh, is. several of us live at the same place as well during session. Doug uh, stays there at the same house that I do as well. So, And I, I hear you're running for Senate as well. Yeah, so that what, is true. What district is that? And yep. uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I'm running for the Senate District 21, which runs from Eastern Clay over to Howard and Cooper County. So if you're thinking of, uh, say, Liberty, Missouri, all the way over to Boonville. So it's a it's a long rectangular uh, Senate district. I, I'm excited about it. It's going very well. 
Uh, we've been involved now for about 10 months uh, running that effort and uh, look forward to August. It's uh, it's a deep red Senate district, so the primary will, for all intents and purposes, be the, the general. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as you well know, Ben, uh, when when I came into office, uh, similar to you, I, I came in and I saw it as a season uh, that I needed to, to steward. Uh, right. I didn't see it as something that it's not my identity. Uh, this isn't like a career ladder for me. Um, and I honestly, if you'd asked me a year and a half ago, hey, Doug, are you ever going to run for Senate? Absolutely not. You know, I, yeah. I, I enjoy pastoring. I, I love what I do. Uh, but man, last year, uh, this time last year, quite frankly, uh, I just saw things happening in this building and realized more and more there is a fight that is raging. Yes. And unfortunately, Every we have day. too few people that are willing uh, to go out onto the mat and uh, quote unquote throw down mm-hmm. uh, for for the right cause, and uh, we just have a lot of people that are worried about the the political con- consequence and the fallout. And I tell you, it is very liberating when you have a, uh, a an understanding of the providence of God. Yes, you can trust Him with every tomorrow. Can't imagine and life long, without it. Absolutely, and as long as you uh, are operating in a way that's faithful to what is true. Uh, you can leave him with the details of tomorrow. That's right. right. So I, that's uh, that's what really kind of pushed me over into that category of, uh, are you going to run for Senate? Absolutely, yeah. I'm running for Senate because there's, there is work that needs to be done, and um, and I, I will do that work for the people if they'll have me. That's great. Great to hear. Uh, looking forward and excited about that for you. Um, so your current House district, how far you're over in the Kansas City area when it comes to that part of the state, uh, Clay County? Is yes. that correct? So is your district, how far is it from, let's say, downtown Kansas City, um, and, and how is it you know, uh, situated geographically in sure. that area? Yeah, so I am in eastern Clay County, so I live in Excelsior Springs. Um, the, uh, the district that I represent is the most rural part of Clay County. Okay. But that being said, um, I do have, because Clay, or, uh, Kansas City has been very aggressive over the years in terms of annexation. So I have parts, you know, pieces of uh, Kansas City zip codes mm-hmm. in my house district. So from where I live, uh, I will drive through about 15 miles of pasture land uh, and then ultimately land downtown Kansas City uh, with about a 35-minute drive. I see. Okay. So not that far, almost no. a suburb in some ways right. of Kansas City. Um, well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on the show today is because I, I want to talk a little bit about the, the shooting that happened last week at the Chief Super Bowl uh, celebration parade in the downtown area there around Union Station. This has dominated the conversations and, and things people are talking about over the last week. Um, and of course, there's a lot of opinions about this. And, and I know uh, we talked about this on last week's show, or on Monday's show, rather, but at, at that time, we had very little information uh, about the, the tragedy that uh, had been released at that point, and we have further information regarding that. Uh, and I think it's important, and one of the reasons why we do this podcast is to try to have an opportunity to kind of delve in a little bit deeper than we typically do on issues and talk about the principle of the matter, because I think it's it's worthy of discussion. I think it's worthy of articulating why we believe what we do, why the Constitution matters, uh, what laws we currently have in place, because a lot of times, regardless of the issue, people tend to have a knee-jerk reaction when it comes to um, 
in things that happen or a, a problem that arises, they typically will automatically go to, well, the government has to fix this. You ever, you ever experienced that one, Doug? All the time. <laughs> All the time. All the time. And, you know, I think it's as a conservative, it, it behooves us to, to slow down, to take caution when it comes to um, legislating and making laws, because many times a knee-jerk reaction and, and just thinking that a law will solve whatever problem it might be uh, usually isn't the case uh, and many times causes more unintended consequences and problems than it tries to address. And so, and I think, especially when it comes to um, gun laws, and, you know, this is always a controversial topic just in general in the political climate that we're in. Um, but I, again, I think it's important to to try to put emotion aside and, and talk about the issue uh, and the black letter of the law, uh, and then really think through that. Um, I think, again, the legislature um, should take every opportunity to to really be objective when it can, when it comes to various topics and especially these that are that are so controversial. Sometimes we have found, and I think Doug would agree that um, when it's a, a really controversial topic, people tend to shy away from it because of the negative attention you could get because of the press, you know, and how they treat you on some of those issues. Um, but it's so important because most of those issues that are highly controversial, I think, are serious ones and and ones that we should be addressing as a legislature. And, and even though it's difficult, um, we should not shy away from it. And I think, um, you know, Doug is very similar to me in, in how uh, we have been willing to take on some of those controversial issues and, and just deal with, um, you know, the, the vitriol and, and all that can come with that. But uh, I think it's important. So let's look at a little bit at kind of the timeline of this, what happened um, so they're having a, a celebration. The, there's a parade going on. There is uh, a lot of people in the downtown Kansas City area that day on Wednesday. Um, I think some estimates had it at around a million people that were there for that celebration. And so think about that. There are people stacked, I mean, very close together, um, thousands and thousands of people uh, outside in the streets um, and in buildings uh, so the the area where this took place was uh, right outside of Union Station from everything that I can tell. Um, and I think from what I've read, the building itself was closed to the public. Most of those buildings, I'm almost sure, are gun-free zones. They have signs on the, on the doors uh, that says no firearms allowed. And a lot of times, even with bigger events that come into the cities and they block off streets and you know, do all that they do with that. They also put up signs saying no weapons allowed as well. Um, I'm not sure how that or where they did in this instance, but I would say it's very likely that that happened. So I'm going to play a video, um, and this is just kind of the uh, the the this shows the shooting area and like right immediately when this takes place. It's kind of an aerial view. Uh, camera up high on a building or maybe a, a news helicopter or something, but it's uh, focusing down on that big wide open area in front of Union Station and it's full of uh, just a sea of people. And you've probably seen this video, Doug, is that correct? Yes, I have. So when I'm going to play this and you can kind of hear the gunshots and then I'll explain how this goes, just like a 12 second um, video here. 
So as you hear the gunshots going off, uh, a space starts opening up in this crowd, and it's obvious that uh, when the shooting started happening, people started running away from that uh, in all different directions, and it kind of opens up this space in that crowd. People are screaming and running in that instance. So as we can try to decipher um, what took place with this, I think it's important to, to look at every possible detail. So news sources say that there were two groups of people, basically, that had some kind of an altercation, a, um, a verbal argument was taking place. Uh, one of the friends of one of the suspects that are in custody claimed that it started over someone just mouthing off because they were staring at them. And supposedly that's kind of the, the beginning of what started this dispute. And so this verbal argument ensues and words were uh, exchanged back and forth between parties. And then from police reports and, and, and some of the press conferences that law enforcement has done, uh, a man by the name of Lyndall Mays, who was 23 years old, allegedly was the one that pulled his gun first. And then Dominic Miller, who was, uh, I think at this point, we think either 18 or 19 years old, um, pulled guns as well and others in that either one of those two groups, um, and began shooting. Uh, some reports said that the, the initial shooter began to spin and just kind of shoot at random into the crowd, um, but I don't have any video uh, that really shows that. Um, and then we do have some video of the, uh, the civilians who were nearby and re recognized what was happening with this shooting and tackled um, at least one of the shooters and held them until police could arrive. So now both of these men have been charged with second degree murder charges. That's what just came out yesterday in the press conferences uh, in, in the press conference from the prosecutor, two counts of armed criminal action, two counts of unlawful use of a weapon. Uh, Miller is believed to have fired the shot that actually killed the woman uh, who was a 43 year old woman, Elizabeth Lopez Galvin. And then two juveniles are also facing gun-related charges in connection with the shooting. So four people have now been charged, two of them adults, and we know who they are. Two that are the juveniles, we still don't know uh, the names of those. So yesterday you had a press conference from the Jackson County prosecutor, Gene Peters Baker, um, who you know reiterated all these facts that they do now have. Uh, and that both shooters remain in custody. They're in the hospital. I don't know that they've formally been booked yet because they've been in the hospital. Both of them, I think, were injured in with, with gunshots um, from that altercation. And so the prosecutor also indicated that there will likely be more people uh, that will be arrested in the coming weeks. So obviously there were, there were other people in those two groups that um, had some kind of illegal behavior and action that was going on uh, that either led up to that or as a result of that. So here's the question I want to ask. Um, and I don't know the answer to this. Uh, I, I probably need to look this up, but is there a law preventing the release of the names of minors? Do you know? Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, we know that uh, if someone is, is charged as a minor, uh, they go through the, uh, the family court system, uh, they're charged as juveniles, and because of that, uh, then they are protected in the sense of their identity and, and other factors. And the whole 
the whole premise for that historically has been, you know, kids sometimes will do some really stupid stuff in their immaturity. Sure. You want to protect them from having to pay a long price, uh, a pay a price long into the future. Uh, the, the the risk right now that we have on, on this situation is uh, these two young men who appear to be um, lined up to be charged as juveniles, um, they could, um, you know, we don't know how, they, how old they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at 21, they're out. Yeah. Right. So they participate in something that leads to the um, victimization of 22 people. There's an individual that's lost their life. Um, and, you know, it's conceivable that, you know, within the period of three or four years, they're out and their record is completely off right. off the radar for anyone. Right. So. Well, also, so the, the way that that works, um, I think, is interesting. So. Information can be released, I, I would assume, if, if consent is given or there's probably different things in place yes. um, because I know of other crimes where juveniles, yes. um, you know, perpetrated a crime and their names were released. So I know it, it, it can happen in certain instances, but I think they do have the authority and the ability to withhold that for different reasons. Um, but I think, too, they have indicated that they could be tried as adults. Uh, depending on the the nature of the crime and and how that that legal process plays out, so um, I think they're probably close to that that age, uh, if I were to guess. Um, but we just don't know that information yet. So the aftermath of this has been quite interesting, um, you know, and how public officials responded to it. Um, you know, many times when there is a mass shooting. You know, the media has wall-to-wall coverage of this. There, there's so many things that figures into it. Um, and then how the, the, the officials respond, whether it's the, uh, the, the mayor of the city or whether it's the law enforcement or the prosecutors uh, or legislators in our state. You know, and it seemed as though almost immediately in this situation, like has happened in others as well, um, the other side of the aisle immediately go to calling for stricter gun laws, stricter gun control laws in the state, which is a statewide um, application when it comes to the law. And so, you know, we knew that that uh, was going to be a topic of discussion and and people bringing that up, um, you know, especially this week. So Monday we get here. Uh, You remember we get here on Mondays and, and our first session of the week is on Monday evening. And so we open up the session and even during the prayer, before we even start debating a bill or anything during the prayer, uh, Representative Brad Hudson was praying, who's also a friend of ours, and he mentioned, what was the the word that he mentioned, you know, during a time of, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing, during a time of senseless violence or... You know, I think he said something about tragic or... it. it um time of tremendous difficulty or, you know, it was something along those lines. Um, but quite frankly, um, uh, the representative that uh, interjected herself at that moment, I don't think she was necessarily looking for any word to set her off. Yeah. She was, uh, she was prepared to create a distraction. And, I didn't uh, give an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, she started to, to shout toward um, Brad and then more broadly, just the Republicans in the room uh, shouting obscenities, and this is during the prayer. I yes. mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for the decorum that we're supposed to maintain. As and you sit as on the they, side I know. a lot closer to them yeah, than absolutely. I do. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we've seen a lot of craziness uh, take place when we're debating bills. 
But I don't know that there's ever been a recorded instance where when the house is, is coming into order during the prayer that... Um, there's been a disruption from members. I know. I, it's that's just first crazy. Time I, it's, um, it was... It was well beyond the pale. I mean, completely beyond anything reasonable. And I believe that even Democrats would recognize that. I think so. And, you know, so then after that, then even the opening, uh, you know, uh, introduction of special guests was was kind of hijacked by some making personal speeches uh, and using the point of personal privilege to to talk about, you know, stricter gun laws and, and how terrible it is and, you know, all the different things leading uh, up to um, a bill that we actually bring up to, on the floor on Monday, which was a public safety bill that we were third reading. And so then again, every opportunity um, they used to speak on the bill went straight toward the, the, the tragedy that happened in Kansas City, which was a terrible tragedy. Um, but again, the, the, the purpose of their comments always leading back to we need to do more when it comes to laws being passed on gun control. And there were several point of orders. The, the decorum was awful. Uh, I was one of the people who spoke during that time, and uh, I was just trying to bring the, the, the tension down and bring the, the, the level down and, 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 and speak uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a tone that was trying to bring people together, uh, and they were yelling and screaming and cussing and all of that during that um, so it was it was quite a, an interesting thing to see play out. So let's t- look at some of the facts that we have so far, because what I always talk about is facts matter in these kind of situations. And when you're making laws, um, the the more information that you have, uh, the better off you're going to be in the end when it comes to what actually ends up becoming a law. So here's the question, and this is what I brought up on the floor, Doug: is is there a law that we could have passed or that we could pass that would have prevented what happened at the shooting in Kansas City? No. Uh, short of, of creating a society where the government dictates when you get to leave your home and then controls your every movement, uh, you know, there's, there's no way for us to have passed a law that would control the, the willful rebellion of individuals in that moment. Right. A person who has a, a, a mind and a motive and a heart to harm someone else. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you're talking about the facts and, and, and the circumstances regarding this particular incident, because you and I both know, I mean, you've, you've encountered it many times as well, I'm sure. Uh, there is a mindset of, that, that is prevalent uh, in our culture today that the details don't matter. Right. I mean, I've even, I was even told over the weekend um, by an individual that was communicating with me um, in an electronic format, shall we say, <laughs> that uh, um, I know that we don't know everything yet and that there will be more details that will come, but those details don't matter. And I told him, I said, well, listen, I, I'm doing what uh, anyone should be doing. I am waiting for the details of the investigation to be released so we'll actually know what, what took place, mm-hmm. right? We know the result, right. but what was it? What, what was going on? Who did it? Why? How? Things of that nature. And it is absolutely foolish for, for anyone to assume that we in Jefferson, Jefferson City or anyone in a city council context or a county commission or the Washington, D.C., it is foolish for them to assume that we should run back to our offices in the Capitol, 
pass a law without knowing anything about actually what took place. It's just foolish, right? you know, I, I I do live, you know, just over a half a ha- half an hour away from downtown Kansas City, right? And I can tell you uh, again, you know, I've been a law enforcement chaplain for twenty years plus, and uh, so I I've got a lot of relationships with law enforcement and you know detectives and and others. It is a long standing issue that is broadly known in the Kansas City region that the context of Kansas City, Missouri. Um, which has a crime problem mm-hmm. uh, similar to that of St. Louis. Um, it is it is broadly known that the let me let me just say it this way. You know me, uh, Ben. I I I like to think deeply and I yes. like to use a lot of words, but uh, I, I want to try to be as succinct as possible. There is a criminal culture in Kansas City that has been incentivized by the way the Jackson County Prosecuting Attorney's Office operates and City Hall. Mm -hmm. The mayor uh, at every turn uh, will excuse criminal activity. He'll blame everyone under the sun except for the criminals. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen that even in the last few years coming through COVID and things of that nature. Um, Law enforcement will tell you, that uh, they have frequent flyers. They will they will arrest individuals. They'll arrest minors and adults with gun related charges, and the very next day, those individuals are back on the streets. Right. And they they're they're not ultimately prosecuted. Right. We have a problem with prosecution, and we have a problem with the fact that the mayor uh, uses his bully pulpit to try to beat up on. The Republicans in Jefferson City, yeah. without ever really taking the, the the time to say, you know what, we have a crime problem in my city, um, and we're going to come after the criminals, right? Yeah, they had. You, you were asking the question earlier. It was, is there a law we could have passed that would have prevented it, uh, brother? We we have so many laws on the books that were broken that day. Yes, um, we're going to talk about and, those. And it's it's uh, you know. So the the question is, what laws are on the books? Has the prosecuting attorney not actually held people accountable for? Yeah, and that's the that's the the crux of the matter. There are a lot of people right now, even within the law enforcement community around Kansas City, that are really concerned about her decision to uh, try the two individuals as juveniles, mm-hmm. because what they what they know is that um, it is very likely that these two individuals um, are gang related. Yes, uh, they have priors. And if if anything in their past recently has involved being arrested on yeah. some kind of a charge, and then they were released, the prosecutor's office does not want that to be known, right. and the mayor does not want that to be known. And the best way you can keep that from becoming known is to keep them tried as juveniles, mm-hmm. right? And and hide that. So, and that's the thing. I think if you look at the mo of the prosecutors, and and St. Louis was a good example of this too. Recent in recent years with Kim Gardner, um, and you know, not prosecuting criminals, but yet in many cases going after law-abiding citizens instead. Um, and then you know, the the mo of of not supporting law enforcement. If I remember right, the mayor of Kansas City defunded uh, law enforcement here a few years ago, right? Yeah, so he he actually stripped forty two million dollars out of their budget two weeks after they had just passed the budget, right? So he he has uh, a long standing record now, unfortunately, 
of working against the proficiencies of law enforcement, un, you know, defunding them or at least attempting to. Thankfully, myself and Senator Tony Lutkemeyer were able to, to smack him down for that and, and prevent that from ultimately happening. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, um, working um, in terms of a messaging campaign against against law enforcement as well. It's just it's a problem. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's always it's always the gun. Right. I mean, from the left, it's it's none of that. Right. Right. I mean, the prosecutor, the very same people who who cry out, you know, foul. Right. right. I mean, they're screaming at us right now, <laughs> even in the chamber about uh, not passing, quote unquote, common sense gun laws, which yeah. is, you know, um, uh, shorthand for let's just do away with the Second Amendment. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the very same people who are shouting that are the very same people who will argue against holding criminals accountable. I mean, one of those ladies uh, actually, uh, was it two years ago, she actually had the audacity to get up on the floor and defend a man who is on death row currently for bludgeoning two people right. to death with a hammer, and she said that he was chemically induced, mm-hmm. right, and that he should be released, right? So these are the people that you deal right. with, Right. But they automatically go straight to the gun. So here's just a few of the things that I think is important to point out. So when we talk about laws, um, what laws were broken uh, by the suspects that are currently on the books in the state of Missouri or in the city of Kansas City? So here's just a few. If you look at 571.030 in our Missouri statute, it prohibits exhibiting a firearm in the presence of one or more persons in a threatening manner, prohibits discharging a firearm at any person unless it's in self-defense. That's one law that was obviously broken by multiple people, probably more than what they actually have in custody uh, in that instance. And then here's another one, depending on the proximity of the perpetrators to uh, motor vehicles or uh, a train, moving vehicles, uh, uh, there is a charge in Section 571030 that can be used for discharging firearms near a structure used for assembling people. So again, proximity to buildings and certain buildings. That's another law, obviously, that was broken. Um, and then, you know, again, if if there were signs up that, that says, you know, this is a gun-free zone, obviously they violated that. Our current state law allows for local ordinances to require permitting for carrying firearms, right? So Kansas City, as you can imagine, as progressive as they are, um, they've probably, they have, they have several, but here's a few. Currently, they require permits to open carry firearms. That's something that Kansas City, Missouri has in place. They have... Um, and this is Ordinance 50-272, prohibits the sale or transfer of firearms or ammunition to minors. Um, that is very likely to have been violated as well. Again, we don't know um, exactly uh, what firearms were used in this, where they came from. I'm closely paying attention to the details when that uh, information is released. And, and I have a suspicion that it hasn't been released for the very reasons that we're discussing here. Yes. But they also have an ordinance prohibiting minors from carrying handguns or ammunition with limited exceptions. Um, so all of these, uh, obviously, were laws on the books in place that were violated, um, at least by several of these people in this instance. So um, there's also a report saying that at least one of the weapons that were that was used in the shooting was stolen. Um, I say that's probably likely to be true, and probably it's a, it's a very good possibility that several of the other weapons um, – 
as well. Because if you look at the statistics of where criminals get their guns, it's it's quite interesting. And I'm going to go through ben, a, a little bit of that. You, I think you are. Is is it um, is it against the law to steal a firearm? Yes, as far as I know. Okay, so because I I thought maybe if, because it was against the law, they wouldn't do it. Right. Right. I well, mean, that's that's their thinking, though. Yeah. If you have a law, then surely they're going to make the decision. Well, if there's a law, then I'm not going to commit this crime. But criminals don't pay attention to the law. They do not abide by the law. Um, that's why they are criminals. So, you know, do we know if they were illegally acquired? We don't know all those details yet. Um, we do know if if uh, there is a law in place, too, that they have to have parental consent if they were to get from a family member or borrow a weapon. Uh, it also depends. It's different whether they're a minor or whether they're an adult. Um, but if they're a minor, they would have to have parental consent if they acquired that by an individual private purchase, you know, because that can happen too in Missouri state law. Uh, let's say you're my friend and you've got a gun that I like and I want to buy it directly from you. I can do that without a background check. Um, now I can't do it if I know and, and, and if you have disclosed to me that you are a felon or if there's any of those other reasons that under the law, current law, right. would prevent someone from owning one, um, then I could be in trouble for making that transaction. But if it's a minor, they would have to have parental consent by the law. And then, as we know, federally licensed dealers can't sell to minors. Um, and then the type of weapon matters. You know, if it's a pistol, there's a different age limit for that. 21, I believe, in Missouri when it comes to that. Um, and then if it's a rifle, it's different. If it's a, 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 a pistol-style rifle or a short-barreled rifle, all of those have different definitions in the law. Um, as to who can carry them, what it takes to buy them. Uh, like a short barrel rifle, for instance, um, would be something that you would have to have a, uh, a stamp from the ATF uh, that you have to pay for um, to be able to lawfully have a short barrel rifle, according to the ATF rules. Not, not necessarily the law. Let's, 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 I mean, they, they yes. make it the law, I guess, but they, they shouldn't be making laws. Um, Somebody mentioned that there was a possibility that one of the guns used had a bump stock on it. Well, that's already illegal federally. Um, unfortunately, President Trump uh, did that for us. Um, but again, you know, there are several of these details that nobody's really talking about and how it could be different. And on top of that, let's not forget it's against the law. Uh, armed criminal action is against the law. Um, assault is against the law. Uh, homicide is against the law. I mean, there there are so many laws yes. that were broken that day. Um, we have we have enough law to respond to a situation like this um, in the name of justice to try to to arrive at a place of justice for the victims, right? But this is a thing, uh, Ben, that that um, I even addressed this past weekend with uh, some folks at the at the church. What we know is that law is always reactionary. Yes. And it's external. The law is only going to be externally applied to the actions of an individual. Nothing that you do in law, even even in the context of really good, thoughtful law, it is only reactionary right. and external. There is nothing that you can do, unfortunately, through law to change the heart and mind of an individual, right? Yes. And, and we know that in light of the gospel that, you know, it, it takes more than law— to actually 
uh, enact a kind of change in the individual uh, to make them somebody that they ought to be, right? Yeah. And that's the problem right now as a society. We we are observing a moral rot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a moral decay that is surrounding us, and it's very prevalent in densely populated areas within our state. That's just the truth. That, that's just the, the cold, hard facts of, of, of life. The moral decay that is happening is creating more of a pronounced pattern of rebellious lawlessness, yeah. and the law itself plays an important role, but what people are expecting the law to do, it can't do. Yeah. Law cannot prevent this kind of stuff from happening. Now, it has a deterrent effect, and we talk sure. about that often in debates and things. Because consequences it, do. Exactly. But when you have someone who is bent on uh, harming someone, um, it doesn't matter what kind of laws are in place. Yeah. Or if you have created an environment where that they don't fear repercussions right. from the law. And I think that there are many instances where that is taking place depending on uh, the prosecutors that we have and how they are handling crime. So they automatically go to, it's the guns problem. Um, and we always are trying to articulate that that is not the case and use facts uh, and you know uh, things that are true to, um, to rebut that. Uh, some of the typical topic talking points of the left, you know, they automatically go to we need universal universal background checks. Well, we already have that. I, I mean, effectively, we do. Um, the truth about background checks is if you buy a gun anywhere uh, other than an individual purchase, then you have to go through a background check. If you buy it at any retail location, if you buy it at a gun show from most of the, you know, and that's one of the things that they will bring out is the, the supposed gun show loophole, which doesn't exist. Um, individuals can, if they can lawfully carry a weapon, then they can lawfully have a conversation with someone else and bring their own guns. They check them, they take, you know, make, they put the safety triggers in them and all that when you walk into the gun show. And then uh, you can sell that as an individual purchase, and you are the one responsible for that transaction. Uh, now, I do know from my own experience, you know, I do a lot of buy, sell, and trading of, of firearms, and there have been many cases where I have felt the need to go to an FFL, even with a, a purchase that didn't require me to do this, but I would go to an FFL and go ahead and go through that process of that person who was purchasing it um, to do a background check. And then, again, that whole process is still there, even though that's not required by the law from a private purchase. Um, but, you you know, you, I, I don't want to uh, to sell uh, a weapon to someone, and then it turns out that they're a criminal, and they've got a history, and they've got a record. And, you know, so anytime that I have any inkling that that's the case, um, I do that, which has been extremely rare, but it has happened. So, for instance, the, the gun show loophole. Um, do you know the amount of percentage of guns that are purchased uh, that are used in a crime? So a guns, guns that are used in crimes, how, what is the percentage of those that are purchased from a gun show in general? Do you know what that number is? Do tell. It is 0.8%. Okay. That would mean that there's like 99.2% of the firearms used in um, criminal activity were not purchased at a gun show. Right. Okay. So so also that includes all the lawful 
purchases that do go through a background check, which is the overwhelming majority of gun show purchases, right? So if you remove those from that number, what would that be? It would be such a minute percentage of actual uh, private sale transactions that take place at a gun show that are actually used in a crime. It's right. almost non-existent. And so nobody wants to talk about those numbers, but those are those are facts. Um, I have a, uh, a set of uh, data that is that was produced by the U.S. Department of Justice in 2016, and it has all this data regarding. And what they did is they did a survey of prison inmates, so criminals, and and then they break it down by what type of crime it was, if the weapon was used, if they purchased the weapon, was it for the intent of using the weapon in a crime? You know, I mean, all this stuff is all broken down in that, and the 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 facts about that is amazing. And when you look at it. Uh, almost half of the guns used in a crime were were purchased on the black or acquired on the black market or in theft. Um, you know, the, the majority of them were. So, again, I think those are details that people need to realize that go completely against this narrative that it the guns like, are the problem. It sounds to me like we need to pass a law to make it illegal to steal firearms. Oh. I, I, oh, think, wait, I think no, we already have that, oh, that one. That's right. No, I, I, I'll catch up to you. <laughs> no <today>. need. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not going to get through the legislature anyway with the Senate broken, but hey. Um, so those statistics matter. Um, and, you know, again, it, it all comes down and funnels down to we have something that is a constitutional right um, when it comes to the Second Amendment that really just confirms the natural right um, that we all have. And that is to protect yourself and protect your family from harm. Um, that is a natural right of self-defense. And the, the Second Amendment confirms that. It doesn't give us the right, but it confirms that natural right that we have. Um, and that's why we are careful when it comes to laws and, and when it comes to gun control, um, because I think just, you know every um, anti-gun um, gun control measure is a— infringement upon that right. Um, you know, I do think that there are some laws that we have that are that that are on the books um, that that makes sense that that n- isn't necessarily a breach of that right, but it is something that gets at the heart of the problem when it comes to criminals. Um, you know, obviously you can't be shooting a gun in public with people all around, you know. Um, there there are things that are very common sense when it comes to that and m- many other laws as well. But the bottom line of this is no law would have prevented it. And the other part of this is, you know, too often it becomes this political grandstanding of uh, where lawmakers capitalize and others, you know, the media capitalize on a tragedy and use that for for that political gain and political grandstanding. Um, and I think that's what we have seen play out all too often. And it's unfortunate, Doug, because I think – you know, having an honest debate with the facts and with what we see uh, and what we have in documents with our Constitution to to outline our rights, I think, are extremely important. And so it, it I think it's worthy of scrutiny when it comes to uh, just a call, this wholesale call for more gun bills and, and more uh, gun restrictions. Yeah, it's also, I think— instructive for us when we face moments like this to um, to take note of of how we as a society uh, respond and I, what I what I have seen over the years is the fact that as a society we 
we have grown very adept at responding to circumstances more out of fear than out of what we know. Yeah. And, you know, we, and it's a pro, I mean, fear is a natural human response, right? I mean, I don't fault people for growing fearful. Uh, I don't fault people for growing angry. I don't fault people for um, grief, right? I mean, those are natural human responses that you would actually expect to see happen following an incident like what we saw on that Wednesday. Um, the, the problem is, as a, as a culture, we, we, haven't, we haven't spent enough time uh, reflecting upon our history and the, the development of our Western, you know, approach to life and civilization. Uh, we don't know, quite frankly, that much anymore about um, why we are a constitutional republic. Um, we don't focus our attention on, on those details. And what happens is whenever you face a moment of crisis, you revert to the um, uh, to your level of, of understanding and you know if we were talking about self-defense, you know you're always gonna you're always going to revert to um, the, the kind of the lowest level of your training in a sense because sometimes it's just like in that moment, in the moment of shock and awe, uh, you forget what you're supposed to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. And fight or flight. Exactly. So when it comes to thinking through these issues, uh, we we don't have the foundation um, that we once did in terms of a collective understanding of who we are and what it means to be a free society and what what the implications are of being a free society. Yeah. You know, a free society requires that we have fortitude and strength uh, because it, a free society is a society that also does make space necessarily for people to do some pretty stupid stuff, yeah. right? And and as a culture, we we value our freedom over absolute safety. Yeah. Uh, if you want an absolutely safe and secure society, which even in even in the the, the most uh, uh, a generous description of that society. It, it's not possible. Right. But even if you could conceive of that uh, in in this broken world, it would it would be prison. Yeah. Everyone has their cell. Everyone has is dictated. Extremely of, limited freedom. Exactly. You're not free. Right. So th- there's always a trade off. Right. And I, I I really wish we can get to a point where where we in our culture valued the fundamental principles. Yes, that have made us the free society that we are, uh, that the rest of the world is jealous of, quite frankly. Yeah, but we are so quick to give all that away in a moment. Yes, and that's the problem uh, when it comes to making laws and how people want to react so quickly without thinking through all of it. Um, because you know, if you wanted to talk about that, wh- what would life be? Uh, what would our um, our republic look like? Uh, were it not for the Second Amendment, were it not for some of the the rights that are outlined in the Constitution, uh, and then you start seeing that that's not a society that anyone wants to live in, uh, but there has to be a balance in those things, and it's important to understand them. And I think that gets into a whole other conversation when it comes to education yes. and the lack of uh, generations of people in this country and in our state who really don't understand those basic principles and understand uh, the value of those rights and then how that plays out and what it looks like and what it provides for us. Uh, and I think all too often we take it for granted that we live in a free society, um, but it's it won't stay that way. 
unless we are vigilant to protect it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's so important. COVID showed us uh, very quickly how people are willing to give up their, their rights of freedom um, for this thought, really, because it wasn't proven, but a thought of public safety. And now we're finding out with all the data and everything else that it was only a thought in most cases. It, yes. it was an actual public safety. And in fact, uh, it, it, in some instances with COVID, it was the opposite of that. Um, but it was extremely knee-jerk uh, reaction uh, to something. And, you know, it, it was it was really frightening for me to see how quickly people were were willing to give that up and not realize that there are major consequences to this way of thinking uh, with collectivism and thinking that it's my responsibility to keep everyone else safe instead of my responsibility to keep me safe. It's interesting because both uh, the conversation that right now is swirling around us um, after the um, Union Station shooting and then, you know, the example you just gave with uh, COVID back in 2020, 21, coming into 22, um, my wife and I were talking about this uh, on Sunday. Um, it, it is increasingly clear that uh, it's easy to operate as a moderate in this, in this day because all you have to do when, when something happens and people demand mm-hmm. that you do something, all you have to do is say yes. It's like that that meme with the guy and he's got the stick and he's yeah. do something. Yes, do, do something. something. Yes, it, it's just it, it that is the easy position, yeah. right? And we have a lot of politicians today that would rather do the easy thing than the right thing. So it's easy to be a moderate. It's easy, quite frankly, to be a liberal um, leftist because oh, yeah. you know the government. The government knows best regarding every detail of our lives. Yeah. All we need is to take more of your money and we'll we'll save you from yourself. <laughs> um, and then people will applaud you for it because you're giving them free stuff. It is hard to be a conservative. Yeah. It's hard to be a conservative because you have people that are that are demanding something be done and you know this thing called the constitution yeah. needs to be upheld. Yep. And so you have to you have to have a strength of conviction that is tied to what is true and right and good and fundamental uh, to, to human society when it comes to our freedoms and liberties. And you have to be willing to look people um, eye to eye when they are furious and say, I understand where you're coming from, yeah. and I know, I know that you believe that this is the right thing. Yeah, and sometimes it even sounds good. Right, but I can't do what you want yeah. me to do. Because of X, here's the reasons, here right. are the consequences that will ne- inevitably happen as a result of that. Uh, but you're right, it is. It's uh, many times an uphill battle um, to stand on those things, but I think it's worth it. I think it's important. Um, and uh, really, if if somebody doesn't, then we know what the results of that will be, and it will be an incremental uh, losing of, of our rights and our freedoms and our liberties. So, Doug, great conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for today and uh, and sign off. But um, just make sure uh, you can go over to Spotify and leave us a a five star review. Go over to Apple Podcasts as well. If you're out there, you can take a minute to do that. It really helps us to uh, to get the reach further out when it comes to the podcast and the information that we're attempting to provide to our listeners. So with that, we'll catch you on uh, next week's Monday show. Have a good day. God bless.